Hi, and welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. This is a sermon from our How to Be series, where we look to the book of Psalms to teach us spiritual habits and postures to live more deep and meaning-filled lives. Welcome, everybody. Uh, to our summer series. We're changing things up a little bit around here. If you've been here before, you notice that we've sort of shifted around some of the order and it means that I get to eat communion and then immediately talk for like 30 minutes. So get ready for a lot of that sound, right? Isn't that great? Through a microphone, it's that much better. Uh, Hey, thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, As you can see, we are in our summer series now, which is called How to Be. Uh, the entire goal of this series is just to, to take a moment uh, throughout the summer and sort of step back. Life can be chaotic, like life can be busy, and uh, sometimes I've noticed, uh, because I'm the one who's normally uh, the culprit here, a lot of preachers can just, uh, you come in and they're like, do this, do this, do this, be better, be stronger, be faster, I don't know if faster is a thing, uh, be you know a better person, work harder, that kind of thing, and it's an easy temptation, right, because it's kind of the way that we are used to this whole talking at people thing. Right? Like you go and you sit in a classroom and your teacher tells you this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do, that kind of thing. That's probably our our closest sort of analogy to the sermon. And so uh, what we wanted to try and do this summer is look less at the ways in which we can do things more, we can be better, we can work harder, and more just sort of explore together what it looks like to be truly human. And I believe, uh, and I, I believe this down to the core of my being, and in fact, I feel like it's one of those beliefs, beliefs that I'm constantly believing more and more the more that I learn, that the pinnacle of human existence is in finding and developing a relationship with Jesus. That everything else kind of like falls second to that. That sort of is like this primary thing that if you can get that one sort of like nugget right, then the other things fall into place. And it doesn't mean that your life will be perfect if you do that. And it doesn't mean that you can even attain this sort of like perfect relationship with Jesus, right? It's sort of like trying to attain a perfect relationship with your spouse or something. Like you can only get better and better and better. There's no sort of like, you know, end goal when you know you've reached it. But all that to say, when that that relationship, that, that relationship with Jesus becomes primary in our life. I believe that it changes and reformats all the other things that happen in our lives. And the reason why it's so difficult is because we are doing and getting people. Uh, Eugene Peterson actually uh, came up with that idea. He said, the reason why we have a trouble being and becoming is because we are so focused on doing and getting. Think about it. Uh, You have like uh, machines that will help you do things, right? Like a vacuum cleaner uh, is our tool for being able to do something. Uh, And then you have machines that help you get things like Google helps you uh, get information that you need and a whole bunch of other junk as well. And so uh, that's kind of like the tool set that we have, but we don't necessarily come into life with a tool set for how to be. So that's what we want to explore today. Eugene Peterson actually says it a lot better than I do, and I believe that we have a slide up here. He says, for the tool-making, tool-using Oh, it disappeared into the white. Oh, there we go. For the tool-making, tool-using creatures who venture into the ocean depths of being and journey into the wilderness frontiers of becoming, making and being made into eternal habitations, the Psalms are the requisite toolbox. The Psalms are the best tools that we have available for working the faith. 
Eugene Peterson lays it out there that, uh, and it's the reason why we're going to be walking through the Psalms all summer, that they, as sort of this ancient songbook that's thousands of years old, that believers throughout the centuries have used as a tool by which they might grow closer to God, the Psalms are our tools to help us be and become in a world of doing and getting. All right. I feel like I've been like pretty uh, kind of flowery so far, right? Like being and becoming, these are all like very vague words. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump right in. Today we are talking about the Sabbath. Now, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, the Sabbath is sort of a, an ancient tradition. Christian tradition uh, of celebrating one day of the week and, and taking it off and resting and dedicating it to the Lord. And we're going to talk a lot more about what Sabbath is. Uh, you'll see if you live here in our neighborhood or if you've been around it, you'll see uh, we actually have a Hasidic Jewish population in our neighborhood and they will celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday. And it's the way the sort of ancient Jews used to. Uh, for us, it is translated mostly into our Sunday morning. And it comes from, uh, it actually comes from the creation story where we see that God takes a Sabbath and then it's actually our only spiritual habit this uh, entire season of the summer that is going to actually also be a commandment. I felt like, and you know, I, I know many of you pretty well, I felt like we didn't need to do a, you know, series on how not to murder people. And so uh, this is really the only one that comes from the Ten Commandments, but it comes in like a really interesting place given uh, the Ten Commandments. Let's actually take a look at those right now. So, uh, Exodus chapter 20 says this, you can actually just see it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Exodus chapter 20, verse three says, this is the beginning of the 10 commandments. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the next one is you shall not make any, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. And it tells us a little bit more about that. So that's number two, uh, skip down to verse seven. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Uh, he who takes his name. So that's, uh, three. And now here we are at four in verse eight, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Already, you can see uh, this one sort of stands out among the other Ten Commandments, right? First off, it is the only one in there that God himself actually did, and God set the example for us, right? It doesn't say, thou shalt not steal, because God did not steal, but it does say, thou shalt remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, because God did the exact same thing. In fact, if you think about it, God did the most impressive and probably most efficient and effective work of all time by creating the universe in six days, and then on the seventh day, he took a day off. I feel like if you can match that level of output, then you can probably say that you don't need to take a day off, right? But until then, I think if we're not working anywhere near as hard as God, then uh, we probably can take time to rest just like he did. Anyway, uh, let's continue through the rest of these commandments. Number, uh, verse 12 says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And in that <clears throat> document that I just read through, 
it essentially became uh, what would be the foundation of all like sort of legal and penal codes uh, that we have in the westernized world. There's one document that's older, it's called uh, the Code of Hammurabi, uh, but basically like you did something wrong and they killed you for it, that was kind of like the legal justice system back then. And then the Ten Commandments were introduced a little bit later and now uh, <clears throat> you can see since we're in the middle, you know, it'll pop up on the news every once in a while, some courthouse is like losing the Ten Commandments and I don't really even have like an opinion about that. But I think what's interesting about it is just sort of the very idea that this singular document, whether you're a believer or not, became foundational for how we ought to live with one another and what we can decide is legally correct and legally uh, incorrect and punishable. That became the foundational document. And one of those 10, one of those 10, I mean, think about it. If you, if you had to pick 10 rules for humanity, would you really spend one? Would you sort of waste one on saying, and also a rule is that once every seven days you need to take a day off. And yet that's what God chose to do. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So uh, it is one of the 10 commandments. And uh, <clears throat> the difficult thing about sort of like, taking it seriously is because in our modern day, Sunday has just become, you know, Sunday fun day, which may be in, at some level at the heart of it. I mean, there's no sort of like addendum about brunch anywhere in the Ten Commandments, but I think maybe it should be a part of uh, how we enjoy our Sundays. Uh, but I think one of the problems that we have is seeing it as like a command is because uh, we don't really enjoy taking anything that seriously or that strictly. As I mentioned before, there are some uh, Jewish people in our neighborhood, a Hasidic Jewish population, and you've probably seen them walking around, uh, they dress a certain way and, uh, they walk a lot on the Sabbath, which for them starts at sundown on Friday, I believe, and ends at sundown on Saturday. It was really interesting the other day. Uh, it was a Saturday afternoon. Evie and I were at the park and we're hanging out and, uh, this man comes walking up with his kids and there's a couple of ladies sitting on the bench and he drops his kids off. And then he's like, I'm going to go home. And he starts walking away and his wife shouts after him and says, no, 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 don't go that way. And I was like, what's going on over there? Is there a bear over there? Like, what is happening? And then he proceeded to come back. And at this point, I'm just hardcore eavesdropping. I mean, I'm just like, what's going on over here? Marital spat? Let's talk about it. Like, uh, so they're like going back and forth now about which route he can take home that will cost him the least amount of steps. Because uh, for ancient Jews and for modern, very highly orthodox Jews, you're actually like counting the distance that you travel because there is a limit at which you can travel in one time on the Sabbath day. That's how seriously these people were taking it. Okay. And that's the exact same. So the people that Jesus was uh, speaking to in his times, now the people that were reading this Psalm, in fact, those Hasidic Jews probably read this Psalm every Sabbath Sunday uh, or every Sabbath Saturday. <clears throat> those people, that's how seriously they take it. That's how important they see it. They say like, I have to make sure that I am not working too much by walking too far on this day. Now, I don't necessarily think that that's how we ought to operate. And in fact, Jesus has a lot of uh, stuff where he shakes up the Sabbath. And uh, we're going to mention a little bit of that and not be able to go into it too deep. We saw just a few weeks ago in the book of John how he let the Pharisees know that the Sabbath was not about all of their rules, but instead it was actually supposed to be a gift for them. So this command that actually sounds like a rule is actually more of a gift for us than it really is sort of a, a challenge or even a, a force to make us be better. But all that being said, 
While I don't think that that sort of hyper-seriousness is the original intent of what the Sabbath is supposed to be, I think for many of us as modern people, we probably are more guilty of swinging to the opposite side. And there's two reasons, I think, for it. The first one is that we're not really ritualistic people. I think a lot of stuff that sort of smacks of, like, you should do this because you're supposed to do it seems like something that we naturally want to push back on. Uh, and then I think <clears throat> I think the second reason why we have so much trouble with it is because uh, it's not all, our, our Sabbaths never end up being the same, right? You come to church one week and it's really great and it's a transformative experience uh, with Jesus. You feel like you're living in true community. You feel like you hear from the word of God. And then the next week you come and I am leading worship and preaching at you and doing both of them kind of like half as well as I probably should be. And you're like, wow, this is a total waste of time, right? That's sort of like the weirdness to it. It doesn't feel like this holy, important command and gift from God and this magical moment for us that is supposed to be something that is going to be transformative for our lives. Instead, it can very often just feel like a day of the week where maybe we go to church, maybe we go to brunch, maybe we hang out with friends, maybe we take a nap, maybe we catch up on a little work that we were supposed to do during the week. Who knows? But I think that's not the intent. This psalm that we're going through today is Psalm 92, and it stands out among all of the psalms because it has this one little tagline here at the beginning that lets you know what it is for. It says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. And like I said, this, uh, the psalms sort of are an ancient songbook that uh, the ancient Israelite people would use and has been used throughout generations of both Jewish people and Christians uh, as a way of connecting in with God, a sort of toolkit to teach us how to be. And of those uh, hundred and something psalms, there is only one that says it is a song for the Sabbath. And what that tells us is that every Sabbath, this was a part of the sort of Sabbath day ritual. Uh, when believers would gather together, they would sing, they would pray, they would recognize this psalm as a way of sort of celebrating the Sabbath. And I believe that it has uh, some things that it can teach us about what the Sabbath is supposed to be and how it is supposed to be meaningful and good for our lives. So that was the longest double intro of our entire lives. All that was leading into the Psalm 92. Let's jump right in before I talk anymore. Here we go. <clears throat> I love, love, love this very first line of the song, Psalm. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for joy. I think my favorite part of that entire stanza is where he opens it up and he says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's a weird kind of statement. I don't necessarily know who he's talking to there, right? At first glance, it might sound like he's sort of like preaching at people, like letting them know, hey, it's actually good to give thanks to the Lord. But then if you look through the rest of the psalm, a lot of it is pretty like self-reflective. I kind of wonder if instead he's actually talking to himself there to say it is good. He's reminding himself from the very beginning that it is good to give praise to the Lord. 
And I think we have to do that a lot in our own lives. I know when I'm like eating broccoli, I'm like, it is good to eat broccoli, even though the sort of like natural taste in my mouth is like, it is bad to eat broccoli, right? When you're going like working out, you're like, it is good to work out. It was actually, I think, because I had this on my mind. I was on a run and uh, started like feeling some shin pain the other day. And I was like, it is good to run. It is good to run. There's something good that is going on here. It is good. It is good in my head. Because I think that we as human beings have a lot of trouble like remembering why we do things, why things are important. But you know, uh, we may say it's good to eat broccoli. We may say it's good to run. We may say uh, it's good to take care of ourselves or some of the other rituals that we do. I don't think I very often remind myself that it is good to gather with other believers on a Sunday morning. I don't ever coach myself on that Sunday when I wake up and I think to myself like, man, you know, it'd be nice if I could just stay in bed today. I don't ever say like, no, 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 Josh. It is good to gather with other believers, to huddle around the word of God, to sing spiritual songs uh, to God and to center ourselves on his life. I don't think that we ever, ever say that. But I think uh, the reason why that is is because uh, it's difficult to remember why exactly we do this whole worship gathering thing. And I I don't want to throw a lot of shade on a whole lot of other churches. You know, like I had half an impulse here to be like those churches that are consumer churches and are all flashy and fancy and actually have uh, coffee places that aren't on wheels so that they can roll them in and out and don't meet in 1970s school rooms. Uh, Those churches are all about this sort of performance and this show and you rate it on whether it's good or bad and everything like that. I'm not trying to like throw shade on them. I want to instead say that even for us, there's a temptation to say that something is good because it so directly benefits us in our lives, right? We come and we leave church on a Sunday afternoon and I do the exact same thing, even though I'm the one that typically has preached the sermon. And I think to myself in the car ride home or drive home thinking like, this was good. This was bad. I didn't like this. I like this. Uh, you know, this song was bad. This song was really good. I really liked it when they did this. And we just sort of like rank and categorize every single thing that happened. We never just sort of walk away thinking to ourselves, it was good even when maybe it didn't feel that way. We never remind ourselves when we're heading in, hey, it's going to be good. This is a good thing to do. And I think the reason for that is because this Sunday morning ritual, this part of the Sabbath that is worshiping together with other believers has become focused on the wrong thing. When I run, especially when I'm not having a very good run, because, you know, sometimes it's like all like puppy dogs and rainbows. Actually, puppy dogs are inhibitors to running in Denver. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It's like running around Sloan's Lake in like the middle of the day is just like a minefield, right? You're like hopping over leashes and kicking dog. No, you're not doing that. Uh, You're running around dogs and stuff like that. It's kind of crazy out there. But anyway, it's not all like rainbows and butterflies and everything's perfect. Sometimes that happens. People have talked about a runner's high. I am not sure what that is. I've run eight miles once in my life and still not hit it. I think at that point, I'm just not going to believe that it's there. It might be like a lie that runners share, right? They're like, ah, if you just run more, man, you'll get it. It's there. It's right at the end. No, it's not happening. Anyway, still with that, there are some good runs and there are some bad runs, right? And I feel like when I'm running for myself and when I'm just thinking about doing things that make me feel good, it's very, very easy for me to be like, you know what? I think I'm just going to walk. And actually in the places that I run, the most dastardly thing has happened. They've put electric scooters all along the route, right? So you get tired and you're like, you know what? I could just scoot right on home from here, right? But 
I'm not running for myself. In fact, I'm not even uh, really like running from myself. I'm running from Fat Future Josh. Now, I don't know if you guys know Fat Future Josh. He is not a nice guy. Uh, he is lazy. He sits on the couch all day and eats really terrible food and never goes for a run. The good thing about running from him is that he's slower than I am. But honestly, uh, what I am running for is like avoiding being that guy. Like I, I want to be like as healthy as I possibly can be so that, you know, when I'm going or when Evie's graduating from high school, I'm not getting like a quadruple bypass surgery or something like that or uh, I want to be like there you know polishing some guns that I rented when she goes off to prom or I want to be there uh, making fun of Sarah for the one month every year that she's actually older than me and when we're 80 right like imagine that moment when I am a young spry 79 year old from April 25th to May 31st and I am just mocking her endlessly for being an 80 year old woman I want to be around for that right and a lot of my other habits, uh, like especially my eating and Coca-Cola habits, do not really uh, condone that thing. So I have to run so much for Fat Future Josh, right, to keep him away from me, right? Now, uh, that's obviously the stupidest analogy in the world for the Sabbath, but here's what I want you to see. What we do here, and the reason why we can remind ourselves that it is good even when it might not feel good, is because we are not here for ourselves. There's a very weird, weird thing that happens when we're singing worship songs, right? I was even noticing it when I was up here leading. It's very strange that we tend to value how good the worship is going based on our own personal experience. So we say, like, I am feeling good. I think uh, one of the Wesley brothers called it like a, a warmth in the bosom or something like that. Uh, when I am connecting with God on this intimate level and I'm actually focusing and I'm actually paying good attention and I'm actually feeling the Holy Spirit move and the music is good and there's no distractions. And we say, like, that is good. That is a good worship moment. But if we're singing songs to God and if we're singing biblical truths to and about God, is that not going to be by its very nature good in and of itself? I wonder sometimes if it might actually be more enriching and adding value to our souls to actually come in on a Sunday when we don't feel it, when we don't feel this connection to God, when we don't feel this warmth in the bosom and actually seeing truths about who he is actually use our bodies as sort of like instruments and tools to be funnels for truth about God that has to have some sort of like change, some shift on our souls and our minds. But even more than that, it is right and righteous praise to someone who deserves it. The first part of our Sabbath, and that whole point really, is that Sabbath is partly a ritual. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Second, the psalmist shows us that Sabbath is also a reminder. Sabbath is also a reminder. In verse uh, five, he picks back up and he says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. Now let's pause there. You don't see the stupid man a lot in scripture, right? It's just like this dumb guy over here. He doesn't know. Anyway, I just thought that was cool. I don't really have anything theological about it. Uh, the fool cannot understand this, that through, though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For, uh, I'm sorry. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish and all evildoers shall be scattered. 
Six days a week, we live our lives a lot like everyone else. We're just sort of like rats in a maze. Uh, the world and us kind of like live the same way. In America, in modern times, we have set up this system where we kind of have like two-ish kind of Sabbaths, right? You have like Saturday and Sunday where you're not supposed to work, but everybody has like kind of crazy schedules. So maybe that's not even true, but we live our lives sort of like hustling after these very same things. And it's very easy very much like a, a fish not being able to recognize the sea that he is swimming in. It's very easy to just sort of like get swept up in the current of all of that. And so during the week, it's very easy for me to look at something like a cheeseburger and think that it's going to bring me happiness. It's very easy for me to look at something like money and think that it is going to provide me security. It's very easy for some, me to look at something like power and think that it is going to provide me some sort of value in the world, some sort of meaning in my life because I have this position or this authority. What the Sabbath does is breaks up our six days a week that are us being sort of like, you know, a rat in a maze, us being climbing ladders, us being people who are trying to achieve. It bursts into that moment once every seven days and tells us, reminds us that there is another way. See, when I read this about the stupid man who doesn't know, the fool who cannot understand, I don't necessarily think about just like dumb people out there. I think about myself in those moments when I'm trying to find something in my life to satisfy me. You ever had one of those moments? Saturday afternoon, you're kind of bored. You got some free time and you think to yourself, like, what is it that I can find that is going to provide me satisfaction and meaning in my life? And it's all too easy with all the things that we have to do, all of the work, all of the, the culture and people that we're around and, and all the other influences on our lives. It's all too easy to forget that we are supposed to be separated people. We are supposed to be people who are living as a part of the kingdom of God. And that our priorities should be different, that the way that we look at the world should be different, the way that we look at God should be different. And instead, if we don't have this sort of healthy reminding rhythm, we can all too easily become the stupid man. We can become the fool who does not understand. Once a week, we can use the Sabbath as an opportunity to remind ourselves of how good God is and remind ourselves that satisfaction only comes from God. You see, uh, there's actually a dichotomy, and I, and I know it doesn't feel necessarily spectacular, you know, to be here in this moment, but I think when you, when we leave here and, you know, go to Torchy's Tacos or go to Sloan's Lake or something like that, we're surrounded by a bunch of people who believe millions of different things about the world, about God, about reality. For this brief and fleeting kind of moment, we get to gather around a bunch of people, sing songs to God, dive into scriptural truth, find community with other people who are chasing after this kingdom of God. And in that moment, it has the potential to sort of recharge the reality of that for our lives, right? I feel like if you spent 40 years out in a desert with no water, it would become very, very difficult to believe that lakes actually existed. It would become difficult to conceive of an ocean. What the Sabbath ought to be is an opportunity once a week to remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is real. We walk into this place, uh, people who are struggling, people who are trying to figure it out, people like me, even through midweek, are starting to say, like, no, satisfaction is found somewhere else. And we come in here and collectively together, 
encourage one another, even in our doubts and our struggles and try fight for ourselves and for each other to see this kingdom of God, the way that Jesus sees it. Sabbath serves as a reminder for that. Finally, Sabbath is supposed to be a rest. Sabbath is supposed to be a rest. In verse 10, uh, the psalmist starts sort of making it personal. He says, this is as a, as a contrast to the wicked, to the foolish that he just said in the stanza before. And in verse 10, he says, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. It's declared that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I, uh, I really love trees and I didn't write that down as a note. I just uh, thought of it. I'm a big fan of trees for some reason. Uh, they're kind of like magical. Did you know that uh, trees can actually like move? It's something, some trees can move like 20 something gallons of water every single day. And yet it doesn't even look like they're actually like moving at all, right? Like, and really, like if you thought about it, if you tried to like recreate this tree out of like, you know, steel and wires and stuff, it would be extremely difficult to get water to move that quickly. I'm not sure that I could like engineer it if I tried in any sort of fashion, right? And here he is, uh, he's painting this picture of these beautiful trees and he's saying that the righteous, the people who are chasing after God grow up like a cedar in Lebanon, which would have been sort of like the pinnacle of cedars back in the day. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. And this is the, this is the sort of the sweetest line. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. And if you've ever like, you know, broken a branch off of a tree or cut into like a fresh tree, which are, these are probably things a real tree lover would not do. If you've ever done that and really just seen like this growing and vibrant tree uh, that is just like filled and bursting at the seams with water, that is the picture that the psalmist is painting. He's saying that inside they are filled with sap and green. They are growing up tall to the sky. They're growing down deep roots into the earth. They are filled and satisfied. He's saying that this is what life chasing after God is like. And I think that the lesson here on Sabbath, the sort of like rule of thumb that we're supposed to follow is that Sabbath is an opportunity to recognize and rest in God's work in that. Uh, I went to Disney World a couple weeks uh, a couple weeks ago and, uh, with my family and we went to this like Buzz Lightyear ride and we're riding around and, uh, they put these little steering wheels on your cart, but you can see the tracks that you're about to go down. You know, like obviously like there's only one way that this thing can go. It's not a bumper cart track. And there is this kid in the cart in front of me, just swerving out of the way of aliens and asteroids as if his very life depended on it. He is shooting Emperor Zerg in the face as if he was the the duly designated appointee to uh, Star Command, and he is just going so hard at it. I feel like sometimes that's how it is in our lives, where we're like struggling against a steering wheel that's not even really even in control of anything, where we're like striving so hard to take control of as much of life as we possibly can, and then we recognize and we bump up against and we sort of get confronted with this idea that actually God is in control of the entire universe. 
God is the track in which our carts are going down. And, and yes, we have some, some free will and, and ways that we can take part and things that we ought to do. But by and large, the universe, the cosmos is held in his hands and not ours. I think that's why this rest has become so important. Uh, what we're going to do throughout this series is I'm actually going to highlight a book uh, that will help you. If you say that Sabbath is something that I just really, really struggle with or uh, humility next week or uh, solitude or something like that, I'm hoping to sort of provide at least one resource uh, as something helpful and meaningful to your life. And so today I have, and I'm letting you in on a little bit of my Sabbath uh, ritual. So every Sunday morning I wake up, um, I have this devotional book that I actually gave to the graduates last week, uh, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And so I read that every single day, but on Sunday morning, I wake up early. I don't read that book. I just read some scripture. And then I read this book. It's called This Day, Collected, new, collected and New Sabbath Poems by Wendell Berry. Uh, Wendell Berry might be the greatest living American author uh, currently putting out stuff, uh, at least. Yeah, he, he very well could be. And he is sort of this... Uh, strange farmer poet guy, right? And uh, he loves being connected to the land. He loves like the good sweat on his brow, good day's work kind of thing. He's very like anti-cities and stuff. So I really shouldn't like him as much as I do because I don't like sweat on my brow or uh, being, getting dirty or anything like that. So uh, anyway, Wendell Berry is really uh, amazing to be able to convince even me. So uh, a couple Sabbaths ago, a couple Sundays ago, I stumbled across uh, this passage. So what this book is, this is a collection of poems that he wrote on and for the Sabbath over the course of his like 30 years of his writing life or maybe even longer than that. This is what it says, and and you'll just have to sort of listen closely. He says, to rest, go to the woods where what is made is made without your thought or work. Sit down, begin the wait for small trees to grow big, feeding on the earth and light. Their good result is song. The winds must bring that trees must wait and sing and sing longer than you can wait. Soon you must go. The trees, your seniors, standing thus acknowledged in your eyes, stand as your praise and prayer. And this is the really transformative part. Your rest is in this praise of what you cannot be and what you cannot do. I believe we, oh, we do have a slide up there. Your rest is in this praise of what you cannot be and what you cannot do. You see, for Wendell Berry, a person who is out working the fields, a person who takes a lot of pride in being able to harvest a crop from the same field that his grandfather uh, harvested a crop from, he says what you need to do is you need to go and you need to sit out in the woods. You need to look at a tree that you didn't plant. You need to look at a tree that you never had to water. You need to sit there and stare at a tree that was alive long before you were and will be alive long after you are gone. And in that moment, recognize your lack of control of the universe. Recognize that things, beautiful and meaningful things, happen without you having to put in any input whatsoever. Resting and staring at that tree in that moment, praising what you cannot be, which is the creator of trees, praising what you cannot do, which is being a tree yourself, growing up that way. The only way that you can possibly sort of like respect that moment is to rest there before it. 
Maybe to say it another way, the only way to truly praise and give thanks for something that you didn't do is by stopping trying to do it. That's what our Sabbaths ought to be. That's what especially the sort of like restful component of our Sundays or whenever you take a Sabbath ought to be. They ought to be these moments when we look at God and say, God, I know I'm not in control of the universe, so I'm going to stop trying to be. Now, for us, we have sort of like uh, American-style work weeks, and so they're built in with taking time on and off. But uh, the people that this psalm was originally written to, think about it. They were like growing crops and feeding animals and taking care of stuff like that uh, for their like very direct livelihood, right? In fact, the Sabbath kind of like took a lot of work to prepare for so that you could like save up enough food and set it aside and prepare it the day before and everything like that so that you might be able to eat on the Sabbath uh, day. So what they were doing wasn't just like taking a day of rest. They were actually saying, God, I'm going to believe that you are true and that you are who you say you are. And I'm actually going to not work and trust that I will still survive tomorrow. I'm actually going to not harvest any crops and trust that I will still be alive, that you will provide for me, that you will sustain me through the very next day. The only and best way that we can show God that we believe that he can provide for us better than we can even provide for ourselves is by allowing him to do that. Our rest is in this praise of what we cannot be and what we cannot do. Psalm 92 was written uh, years and years before Jesus came along, but I feel like it sort of catches its like full fruition. I feel like this very idea of Sabbath uh, comes to fullest light. This picture of this tree who is fully fed and fully satisfied, I think only really comes uh, into true fruition uh, with the advent of Jesus in our lives. And the reason for that is because it's really nice to like praise God that we don't have to work one day. Like we can all get behind that. It's really nice to sort of praise God that we can eat for one day. But I think that Sabbath ought to also be a reminder to ourselves that we ought to rest in the fact that we can't even save ourselves. We ought to rest in the fact that there was a person named Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins because we were not capable of doing that. And in fact, if there is one thing that centers in all of the history of humanity as an act that something that we cannot be and something that we cannot do, it has to be Jesus's work on the cross. It has to be that he died for us and paid the price for our sins when we couldn't do it ourselves. No Sabbath is complete, and it's, it's even why we sort of take communion every single week as an opportunity to say, no matter the chaos, no matter how much I'm trying to work for my own value, for my own satisfaction, for my own salvation, no matter what all of that is going out there, for one brief moment, I'm going to recognize and praise that Jesus did something I could never do for myself. And then all I can do to thank him for that is rest in that. I want to conclude uh, these series of sermons uh, with just some really sort of practical, pragmatic uh, takeaways and what, to, what we should do moving on. Uh, 
for the Sabbath, I think it kind of boils down to three things. Uh, the first, don't work. That's an easy sell, right? But it's tough to do. It's tough to really discipline yourself. I think for me, like, uh, it's tough. I, I, don't, I don't really, like, think of, like, this part of my job as, as so much work. Uh, I guess it kind of is. But uh, I, for me, I have to discipline myself when an email pops up from, like, one of our church partners or something like that to not just immediately sort of, like, crank that out. I have to discipline myself that if I'm going to read, it needs to be reading for fun, not reading uh, for trying to prep for next week's sermon or something like that. Uh, I think that's really where it gets tough. If someone asks you, do you want to work a full day on Sunday or do you want to take Sunday off, you're going to be like, yes, I want to take Sunday off. But when it comes down to, like, do you want to cram in the last bit of your homework or prep for that test on Sunday night? Or do you want to do it Saturday night? That's really where it like gets really, really tricky. That's the sort of like first discipline, that sort of resting and praising God. It comes from not working, ceasing to work. The second part is worship. <clears throat> uh, there's a component of Sabbath. Uh, the ancient Israelites used to call it a holy convocation. They would have special sacrifice days. And now uh, we sort of have this corporate worship gathering where we get together. And it's an opportunity where we can gather with other believers and sing praises to God. So that's the second component is worship. And then the final component, and I think it's something that's a little bit more abstract, a little bit more difficult to really wrap our minds around, is that we're supposed to enjoy uh, part of Sabbath is actually sort of embracing uh, the good life that God has given to us. And so that's going to look a little bit different for each and every one of you. Uh, it's sort of like uh, a way of recognizing uh, that God has done something amazing in our lives and worshiping him for that. And so that might be going to the mountains. That might be sitting like Wendell Berry and staring at a tree and thinking to yourself how God made that thing. Uh, that might be going for a run. That might be hanging out with your family. All of these things that God has given you as good gifts on this day, when we take a break from work, when we take a break from our normal busy lives, we need to recognize everything that is holy and good and is a gift from him. So that's how it breaks down. Don't work, worship, enjoy. So I'm going to stop talking now so that you guys have as much of the rest of your Sabbath uh, to do that as you possibly can. I would challenge you uh, today, just because uh, this is kind of handy that you get to immediately apply it. Take a look at the rest of your day and what you have planned. Maybe there's a temptation to get out and do yard work. Maybe that's really restful and you enjoy it. Uh, maybe you hate it. And honestly, that grass can grow one more day. You can hang out inside and be with your family. Maybe there's a temptation to finish up on that proposal because you have a few hours left. I would say it can stick around too. Most of the time, there's time when it can wait. You could wake up earlier on a Monday morning. Just ask yourself the question, what would happen if you took an entire day and dedicated it to not working, to worshiping, and to enjoying the good gifts that God has given to you? That's my hope and my prayer for you today. And not just so that you can add another ritual to your life, not just so that you can have one more thing that you ought to be doing, but so that you might learn how to be that through an increasing intimacy with Jesus, we might all learn to be more authentic and truly human. Isn't that crazy, the juxtaposition there? Like, that's the potential outcome of not sending an email today, right? Like, that's the potential outcome of actually enjoying your day as opposed to, like, throwing a bunch of effort and work into it. That's the potential outcome of spending sweet time with Jesus. Would you guys pray with me?
Dear God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that we are able to celebrate and enjoy the Sabbath even in this moment and in the rest of the day to come, God. God, we need your help to constantly remind us that you are good, that we are part of your kingdom, that your kingdom reality is better than the one that we have built for ourselves, God. And God, that you have given us good gifts to enjoy. We should thank you for that. And in our praise and in our worship of you, allow us to rest. Rest in the fact that we don't control the universe. Rest in the fact that you are in control of the universe, God, and that you love us. God, I pray for each and every one of these people and our friends who are not here, God, that, God, that you might give us a glimpse of true, beautiful, meaningful, life-transforming Sabbath even today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Following Jesus can be tough. Luckily, Jesus gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us on a Sunday or in one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.